Good morning, church. Uh, it is uh, it is good. You know, I I found myself, and I don't know if you've ever experienced this uh, as you have been in worship or or experiencing worship online. But I'm sitting in the back, and uh, one of my responsibilities uh, at the beginning of the service, anyways, uh, when I'm when I'm giving the message, is to respond to the comments that are happening online. So for those of you, that's me as Redeemer and, and responding to your comments online. And, and all of a sudden, I realized that I was kind of reading and filtering and listening to worship, but I wasn't really all the way engaged with what I was doing because God was doing something different for me in my heart. Have you ever had that experience where it's like you're, you're in the room, but you're not in the room? And so I just, I stopped and I just asked God, you know, what, what are you, what are you doing? And I just want to share that with you. And maybe it's for somebody in the room, maybe it's for somebody that's watching online, but I just, I had this overwhelming, and I, I'm not a, a guy who is easily moved emotionally, um, but I felt overwhelmed with this sense of discouragement. And I don't know if it's somebody in the room or somebody uh, watching, but I, I just want to pray for you. And I, and I believe that God prepared this message for you today, because there's a, there's a very clear word um, for, for those of you who might be experiencing that uh, this morning out of the message. But, uh, but just let me begin in prayer over that. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the encouragement that you give. I pray, Lord, um, that we would be released from uh, the discouragement that we can heap upon ourselves, knowing that you, Lord, are the true encouragement for us and that you um, love us for exactly who we are and desire only the best um, for us. And so, Lord, help us to, to live into uh, that best that you call us to, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, there might be a sensitivity uh, in me right now because we are wrapping up a series that I've been very emotionally invested in. Um, and, and I don't know if it's just because of the, the text or, or walking through scripture with all of you. I've, I've referred to it as our journey along with a journey. It's such a meta thing. I feel like I, I, maybe there's just something additional that goes on with that as we have looked at this journey that Paul and his friends are on. You know, we followed Paul with his friends, Timothy and Silas. We followed them uh, into and, and through a few places and then into a place called Philippi where he met a, man, a woman named Lydia um, and, and saw a, a church founded and forming uh, in her house. We saw, we saw Paul, ult, the ultimate example of being spirit-led, um, going where the Lord was directing him immediately and without question. He was, he was taking every opportunity, even imprisoned, he was taking opportunity to, to be Jesus for the people who couldn't see Jesus yet. And, and, and he was uh, the one who took all of these steps and we were right along for the ride. And on the way, we saw that, that Paul's durability, his accessibility, was what made his faith come alive and be refined as it was tested. And today, we take a short journey. We ended last week, and, and Paul was in Athens, and we're just going to go a little ways northwest from Athens uh, to a place called Corinth. Uh, Corinth is uh, where... Paul meets a very particular and significant couple. Uh, they are recently relocated from, 
from Italy, uh, and, and they were pushed out of Italy because of the emperor. Uh, the emperor at that time was Claudius, and he was threatened by all of these Jewish believers trying to make converts out of the people he was trying to lead. And so he forced them out of Italy. And, and it was this couple that Paul encounters at the very beginning of our text today out of Acts 18, and they're named Aquila and Priscilla. Now, uh, in it, you, you would think that these people who were forced out of Italy because they were, were trying to make converts out of the people that Claudius was trying to lead, that they would be united, Paul and Aquila and Priscilla, that they would be united because they have a common purpose in, in making disciples, you know, living out that great commission. But there is a reveal at the very beginning of this chapter that indicates that they're, that they have, while they do share that common purpose, they have an even deeper connection. And I just want to highlight that for you. And it starts in Acts 18.3. And because he was a tent maker, Paul was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and he worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue trying to persuade the Jews and the Greeks. Now, a lot of times this could be just a, a throwaway uh, backstory element for Paul, and we love to kind of bring up those really, uh, you know, inconsequential things, or at least I do. It's like trivia. Everyone loves a little bit of good trivia. But this entire part of the world was filled with industry and people groups that followed and moved and were nomadic in nature. They were following herds or crops and cultures whose entire existence is based on moving around. And for these families and these clans, tents were home. So to be a tent maker was to make a home for an entire way of life. This just wasn't camping for a holiday. A tent was for living. Tent making was a great, of great value and was a very specialized skill that would have been handed down from one generation to the next. So to say that Paul was a tent maker was likely to recognize that Paul came from a family of tent makers. And while it was clear that Paul was educated in religion and law, this would not have been Paul's identity. Paul more likely would have been a tent maker who was trained in religious and civil discourse. All that to say, the bond that he shared, Paul shared with Priscilla and Aquila, it ran so much deeper than just that common mission, which would have made their relationship strong. Now, many of you know that I grew up in a bakery family. My father was a baker, his father was a baker before him, and I have a brother and a sister that are still bakers. And while I have not worked regularly in the, ba in the bakery for decades, there is still something of a baker in me. Now, another fact that if you know me that you would know to be true about me is that my wife, Kim, is phenomenal in the kitchen. And if you are or have ever been on our Christmas caramels list, you will know firsthand just how special she is. So as a result, my job in the kitchen is to do the dishes. But the other night, my youngest wanted to make cookies. So I got out some flour and sugar and butter and eggs and everything else that looked good from around the kitchen, and we made cookies together. Everyone in my house seemed to really like them. So when Kim asked me what recipe I used for the cookies that I made, I couldn't really explain how I made them or how we could maybe even make them again, because we had just made cookies. I don't know. 
And when she asked me to check a cake in the oven to see if it's done, um, I don't know, I know when it's done. I can't tell you why I know or what it looks like or anything like that. I I just know. So now, in this stage of my life, when I meet somebody that has grown up in a family like mine, in a bakery family, there's an understanding that goes deeper or beyond conversation or just knowing something about someone. We share an intimacy that only people who grew up in bakery families can share because we have a shared backstory. And that's where Paul was. He had this incredibly deep shared backstory with Aquila and Priscilla because they were professional tent makers. Their income, their status that they held in their community, their families and prospective relationships were all tied to this most significant part of their identity. The bond here would have been tremendous. And yet, that second half of that first uh, or the second half of that first reading, chap- or out of chapter 18, verse 4, every Sabbath, Paul reasoned in the synagogues trying to persuade the Jews and the Greeks. Now, you might identify with my story of being in a bakery family, but for you, it might have been sales or accounting or painting or plowing or carpentry or teaching or coaching. Professions, especially those handed down from one generation or modeled from one generation to the next, have a way of creeping into a central part of our personal identity. But as followers of Jesus, your profession, your occupation, whatever it is that you put on your tax form, is not central to your identity. First and foremost, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, that is, that fact, that part, that whole of who you are is the core of your identity. So no matter your profession, the church is called to proclaim Jesus. It can be incredibly easy, I think, to get this mixed up. And I think it's easy to get this mixed up because we spend so much more time at work or doing other things. But we get it all wrong when we let those things, however noble, however necessary, become more prominent in how we define ourselves than the prominence of our identity in being known as someone loved by God. It's a pretty significant difference. And when we live out our true God-given identity, we start to look like something greater than ourselves, we start to look like the church. The church loves as an accountant, the church loves as a janitor, as a cook, as a teacher, as a contractor, as a salesman. The church even loves as a baker. So no matter your profession, the church is called to proclaim Jesus. So as we see Paul, He's now being again joined by his friends, Timothy and Silas. We see them starting to to get pushback in the synagogue, to, to be abused is the word that our text uses today, as they're trying to reveal a new message, a new challenge to the people in the synagogue. And we can hear even Paul, who he was, we can hear his frustration start to boil over. Now, I want to remind you from, from previous uh, messages where we talked about Paul that, that he is 
so perfectly suited to be sharing truth in a synagogue. His preparation, his unique backstory prepared him for that. And yet, even in this moment, in Corinth, he is receiving nothing but pushback. But when they opposed Paul out of Acts 18, verse 6, and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest, and he said to them, from now on, I will go to the Gentiles. You see, in Corinth, Paul was not effective where he was most comfortable in the synagogue, but it was here that Paul reconnects with the true mission to which Jesus had called him to. You see, there was this moment that we have referred to before in Acts 18, where, where Paul's life was turned upside down and where he had a very real Jesus encounter. And in this Jesus encounter, this, this moment of Paul's conversion, there's a message, there's a way that Jesus described Paul that is revealed in this statement about himself. Jesus speaking, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles. Paul was ineffective in the places and to the people with whom he was most comfortable with in Corinth. But that was not his only opportunity. In fact, that place and those people might not have ever been his primary opportunity. And this is a key to us as we are the church, that we don't need to be discouraged by who we miss, but instead we can be encouraged by who we will reach. A statement like, we were always so much more effective when we did things this way, or we did this program, or taught this way, or looked a certain way, or remember when, you know, the, the golden years, remember those? When we wallow in the misses of right now by looking into the past, we miss the opportunities that are the future of the church. There, we find Paul, right in the middle of kind of wallowing in not being able to reach these people in the Corinth synagogue. And while he's still processing through his own, it always worked that way before moment, Jesus spoke into Paul, and the greatest encouragement came out of what Jesus says to Paul, and it's for the entire church. In Acts 18, 9, it says, one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision, again, a dream while he's sleeping. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. Jesus spoke his greatest promise to Paul and to us. Do not be afraid. Do not get discouraged. Do not wallow in the what ifs. Jesus is saying, Paul, I was there from you, with you from the beginning. I was there when you were beaten. I was there when you were imprisoned. I was there for, your, for you in your failure and in your success. I was with you, and I will always be with you. Your confidence is not in yourself. Your confidence comes out of knowing that you are not alone. Paul wasn't crushed because his courage wasn't built on himself. His courage was in knowing that Jesus is with him. He wasn't alone. And courage comes out of this developed trust in God. As I see Paul's story unfold in this section of his life, it becomes abundantly true that this trust that he has in God, his belief that Jesus is at the center of his identity and will always be with him, 
It is this in Paul that is the foundation that he passes, that he carries, that he gives to those communities of Jesus' followers that he's establishing all over the place. Their foundation, the church's foundation, is in knowing that it is all Jesus. And the health of the church is built on it. But it's this way that Paul manages a particular relationship that I want to unpack as we discuss this section of scripture. Because I think in how he handles this relationship, we see the system that is a healthy system in the church. And it begins as this character is introduced into our story in verse 24. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. Out of nowhere, it seems, Apollos comes on the scene with a Greek name and a Jewish heritage. Apollos was from Alexandria, a known center of progressive philosophy built on the teachings of a a philosopher by the name of Philo. He was a key religious philosopher. And he was an influencer in this newly formed Christian theology. So when you think of Paul's unusual failure to persuade the church in Corinth, in the synagogue, Apollos was a new influential voice. And he was perfectly suited and called to this place for this purpose. An idea of calling that Paul writes about to this new formed church in Corinth He reminds them in the midst of their division and their struggle that they each were uniquely called by God in the church and in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians 1, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. You see, he had gone on to to describe the people that were making up the church in Corinth, and they were Jews and Greeks and farmers and philosophers, but yet they were all called to unity in Jesus Christ. And that's where the healthy church system begins. It begins in knowing that God placed you, the individual sitting right here, the individual sitting on their couch at home, placed you in this church, in this time, on purpose. Because we are the church that's going to make a transformation in our community. And I need you as much as you need me. And you need the person next to you as much as you need God to be empowering you because we are in this together. They were Jews and Greeks, farmers and philosophers, and they were all called to the mission of Jesus. And that is where the healthy church system begins. It begins in the call. But it doesn't end in the call. You see, in the same way, I'm, I'm gonna, we're going to walk through this entire relationship with Apollos. In the, in the same way that Apollos was called to that place for that purpose, and we are called to this place for a purpose, that is not where we stay as just called. You see, there's a next step. A calling prepares us for our next step. So we read in verse 26, he began to speak. This is Apollos boldly in the synagogue, when Priscilla and Aquila, they heard him, and they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. I love this, because we get this picture of Apollos, and we know a little bit of his backstory, and we know that he's respected, he's accomplished, and yet even he had room to grow. We all do. 
When Paul wrote back to the church in Corinth about Apollos, he explained a bit about this process of growth in the church. He described it this way. I planted the seed. Paul planted the seed. Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. The healthy church, it invests in itself. The healthiest churches recognize their need to grow spiritually first and numerically by the God, by the God of grace who makes it grow. So how does it look in the church? I think it looks just like it did for Apollos. I do. It looks like training. Aquila and Priscilla, they heard him speak boldly. He was accomplished in that, in that venue. And they took him aside. They invited them, him to their home. And they prepared Apollos to be more, even more effective. At Redeemer, that's why we value growth groups the way we do. Because in the most basic of terms, growth groups are simply a safe place to grow, grow in relationships and grow in faith. And when we grow, the church grows because we are the church. We all have room to grow. In fact, the people who feel the most arrived all the way there often have the most room to grow. And that includes me. I want to share something about uh, my growth group. And I can share it because it's me. So, you know, what's said in growth group stays in growth group. I'm sharing what happened to me. Because my growth group is holding me accountable to trust God more, especially when I give messages like this one. Because before this series, when I was going to give a Sunday message, I would wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning, and I, and I would obsess about every word that I had already obsessed about before. And each Saturday this month, when I have gone to bed, I have been determined to sleep all the way to my alarm. And so far, that accountability has helped me to grow, to trust God, even when I want to be the one in control. And the funny thing is, is I feel better, too. See, the healthy church system, it starts with our call, but that first step is to growth. And we get that by being trained. And finally, we follow this Acts account of Apollos to verse 27. When Apollos wanted to go to Ikea, he was assembling furniture apparently, the brothers and sisters encouraged him. You see, Apollos had been instrumental in the foundation and formation of this church in Corinth. He was the, the one who had watered the seed that Paul had planted that grew into the community that they were all a part of. Yet when it came time for Apollos to follow to a new call, a new place, the brothers and sisters encouraged him. And this was incredibly important to the health of Apollos, to have permission from his peers to continue to follow the Spirit's lead wherever it led him to. And truly, I believe that it was critical to the health of the church that he was serving in. Because allowing, releasing Apollos to follow that call opened up space for somebody to continue to grow. It's an incredible way that the system of healthy church works. You see, we see the healthy church, we see the healthy church principles at work in Apollos' life through, uh, through these words, but we also see it as Paul writes back to that church in Corinth. When he writes these words, his second letter to the Corinthians, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. 
as though God were making his appeal through us. And the tie-in here is an ambassador is a member of one community that represents in another community, right? We most often use this term referring to members of one country who reside and and have representation in another country. So in terms of the church, we are at our healthiest when we release our people, the church, when we give permission and commission to be called to new community as Christ's ambassadors. Apollos was called to Corinth. He was trained by Aquila and Priscilla, and he was released to be Christ's ambassador in the next place that God was calling him to. The church is at its healthiest when it is a perpetually confirming, when it is perpetually confirming God's call, when it is perpetually training for growth, and when it is perpetually releasing for every opportunity to be Christ's ambassadors. And so that pipeline, that healthy system in the church, it's to call, to train, and to release. And then trust God to call and train and release and trust God to call, train and release. You see how healthy that system is? We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. But for whatever reason, in my observation, this isn't always exactly how churches function. You see, I think we let fear get in the way in the middle of our healthy system. And pretty soon our system doesn't look very healthy. Because I believe the greatest misstep in the church is keeping people stuck in training rather than released for mission. That's what I mean here. And it's meant as a warning for us, for we, the church. And we get stuck for a bunch of reasons. And some of them can be pretty good things. We get stuck because we make our systems too complicated, or we get stuck because we set our standards for perfection. We get stuck because we don't trust God to call at the front end of that healthy system to the church. We get stuck because we don't let Apollos get out of the way. And pretty soon, without releasing an emission, we stop growing. And the church is ready to grow. This church, right here, It's ready to grow. Paul recognized this, and he recognized that even in accomplishing this, he was immature and had room to grow right in the middle of his most effective ministry. When he writes to this church in Corinth a few years later, he says, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, completely revealing himself. But then he goes on to say, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. It's time for us to receive the Spirit's power and start to live this healthy system. It's time for us to become, together, collectively, Christ's ambassadors. The greatest mission of the church is to release the church to be the church. I recognize that's too many churches, so I'm going to try it a different way. The greatest mission of the local church community is to release the people to be Christ's ambassadors. Are you with me? Do you want to be a part of this incredible mission that God is doing here, right here, and where we go? Both of those places, God is using us to make impact. Are you with me? 
With that, I want to say, let's go, Redeemer. Seriously. Let's see God's kingdom advance, not just in this building, not just in our viewing of this worship experience, but in how we live our lives out there. You know, over the last few weeks, last four weeks, I have had an opportunity to share in what Paul did in the church in writing letters with all of you. And I have to tell you that it has been incredibly fulfilling for me personally. There's an intimacy as I write those letters that is, is uh, pretty incredible. My process is to, to write the letters, and I picture the people that I'm writing to. So I'm picturing you, all of you in this room, the people who I know watching online. And so I'm writing to the church I'm trying to download what is it that God needs the church to know, and I'm trying to put that on a piece of paper for all of you. And if there's one thing that I've learned that I hope you can experience too, it's that we are in this together. And the words that God has for me are the same that he has for you because we are the church. And so I want to give you just a little glimpse into what it's like to write a letter to all of you. So as you can see, I was just writing the first one of all the ones that I had described. But I was. I was thinking of all of you. And my prayer for us today is that we would know that we're in this together. That we aren't in this only as this number of people, but God is by our side. And Jesus' promise is true for each and every one of us as an individual, and it's true for us as a church, that he is with us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for these opportunities to see your, your word come alive through the people and places that uh, reveal your call to the church. And so pr I pray, Lord, that we would experience that call fresh today, that we would know that we are here for a very specific purpose, that you have unique purpose for us, not just as individuals, but as a community and that you are raising us up, that you are training us to grow, and that we are being developed so that we would be released into the mission that you call us to do, not just inside these walls, but into your world to see transformation happen. And so, Lord, we pray that the power of the Holy Spirit to fill us, to give us strength, to, to make us bold, to be the church together. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name and all God's saints said, amen. amen.